Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $19 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of CommonSkew and founder of Right Sleeve, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Brad White, VP Sales at Boundless Network. Today, our guest is Dave Regan of The Vernon Company. This, in fact, is Dave's second turn on the Promo Kitchen hot seat as he last joined us in November 2012. A bit of background on Dave for those that don't know him. Dave joined Vernon in 1989 and rose through the ranks to his current position responsible for all sales and marketing activities. When not slaving away, Dave is a family man and he shares time with his wife, Jan, and daughters, Aaron and Katie. Dave is an avid biker, golfer, photographer, and watcher of all sports. Dave, a warm Promo Kitchen welcome. Great to have you back with us. Well, thank you, Mark. I'm surprised I'm being asked back again, but I'm happy to be here and Nice to talk to you too, Brad. Well, it is. I, I think good to, uh, good to talk to you too, Dave. It, we we have a soft spot for you, Dave. You know that's why we wanted you to come back. But <laughs> but why don't why don't we launch into into one of the reasons we wanted to have you come back, uh, uh, Dave? And I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna read uh, a paragraph or two from this great blog post that you contributed to the Promo Kitchen blog in January of this year. And it was a really insightful article that talked about making sales happen in 2014 and really talked about this idea of, of uh, uh, what it takes to get a rep to change their behavior. So I'm going to read a little excerpt and then I've got a question for you. Okay. There is an old saying that the definition of insanity is when you do the same thing over and over again expecting different results. The things that you were doing today are not working. You have the power to discontinue those activities, replace them with different options. Each of us has the power and the control to make things happen. The past cannot be changed, so learn from it and let it go. In 2014 and every new year, in fact, try new things, new approaches, and new methods. You just might find some things that work better for you. It's the key to making sales happen. So, Dave, when I read this article, and it was a great article, by the way, it really got me thinking, and I'm curious to get your perspective on how it is that you as a sales manager are able to get a salesperson to change their day-to-day activities when their expectation is to actually change for the better. I'm curious about that. What are some of the things that you do? Well... I, I I think first one of the things you have to do is you got to get them to acknowledge that the things that they're doing aren't working. Um, I talk in that article a little bit about you know people call me all the time and they say they want to increase their sales. Yep. And uh, so that that always prompts a discussion, and I try to find out what they're doing and how they're working and how things are working and and. Uh, and, and, and I suggest new new things to do, and uh, you know, way too often they never take that first step. So that causes me to say, do you really want to increase your sales, or do you just want people to drop things in your lap? Um, yeah, we have a lot of different salespeople uh, that that I'm responsible for, and I said this on the last podcast. They're all different, and, and Brad knows this. Uh, uh, Different things motivate them. Different things tri- trip their trigger. So I think as a manager, you try to find out what it is for each individual, and then uh, come up with some solutions that that tie into that hotspot. Uh, some people it's money. Some people it's recognition. Some people it's uh, gifts or tech tools or whatever. But uh, so you try to do that. But you got to first. Sometimes they say things are going great, and they really aren't. Hmm. So. Getting them to acknowledge that and understand, um, you know, is the first step, for lack of a better term. You know, Dave, I, I read your article, and and one thing that I picked up on that was simple. It's very similar to what you're saying, which is when you're planning, you've got to first analyze what worked and what didn't from the previous year. And in my estimation, I think. What worked is easy to answer because it's our strengths. It's the things we do right. Yep. What did not work is difficult because maybe we don't want to admit that we have 
areas that need improvement, or it's tough to understand what those are. I mean, if, if we knew where we needed to improve, the assumption is that we would. So how do you get people to kind of go through that process and come to a realization of the areas where they need to improve? Well, some of that, some of that, Brad, may involve actually sitting down with them and, and dissecting a week or two weeks of activity to see where their time's being spent. Uh, you know, I know uh, when it comes to budgets and things like that that I have budget responsibilities for, you know, if you spent $8,000 on something and you didn't get any leads, you didn't get any sales, that's a no-brainer. You know, you go, I'm not spending that $8,000 again. But, but for an account exec or a sales rep in the field, a lot of times it's the soft cost. It's where are they spending their time? Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I, I send out a direct mail piece, you know, I spend eight hours a week doing that. Well, how are the results? Well, I haven't got any orders yet. Well, so a lot of times they don't factor, they don't equate their time with an investment or with dollars being spent. And I think that's that's important. But so you start by saying, okay, let's go through a typical day, a typical week, a typical couple weeks to pick up all the activities that they're participating in, and uh, and try to figure out what the return is for each of them on those activities. I, I, that's a good first first place to start. Um, you know, we talk about at the end of the year. I always do this. I always talk about, all right, we're changing the calendar, new year. But, but one of the first things I like to do in the new year is recommend that they look back at the old year, not to, you know, not to sit there and get stuck, you know, in the midst of it and, oh, woe is me, and oh, this stunk and all that, but, but rather to just kind of look back and to do just what you said, find out what worked and, uh, and where they spent some time and what they did and what they can shed and how much free time they can, uh, they can by getting rid of activities that didn't work and then, then the second question is, what are you going to do with that time? D Dave, do you have any specific examples or stories that you can share about you working with a rep uh, that was struggling at X dollars in sales and you know they were repeatedly doing the same thing and expecting different results? Uh, do you have a story about how you... you Taken someone like that, and and move them upstream to gotta, not only yeah. get them to change their behaviors, but then what impact did that have on sales? I think that would be interesting for us to uh, to listen to. Well, I, you know, I'm not a miracle worker, so I think <laughs> the thing you got to acknowledge is you can't change everybody, and that may be a different podcast about when to, when to you know when to let go, when to cut your losses. Yeah. In, in some particular cases or when you, you realize that maybe you're investing in more, more time in an individual than they're investing in themselves, which again is a, is a different discussion. But, you know, we, we look at our sales force and you have people at the top, you have people in the middle, you have people in the, the bottom third. Uh, those people in the bottom third are the people that we, we find ourselves spending time on. Sometimes I think it should be the people in the middle, but Recently, we did uh, we did a promotion for a, a group of people, so it was a, a targeted promotion for individuals in a certain sales demographic. So it wasn't for our best producers. Our best producers seem to win every contest. They, they you know they they they're, just, they're winning because they're just doing their regular stuff. Yep. Uh, but the people at the at the bottom, we figured, you know, if we could get these folks to increase their sales X dollars, would be willing to contribute uh, five hundred dollars. You know, so in the past we might have uh, crafted a contest where we gave them a $500 Marriott card for a you know getaway weekend or something like that, or we gave them $500. Uh, this time we actually sat with a group of people and we said, "What would you like to win? If we had a contest that we had and it was just for you and you were designing it, what would the prize be? What would the you know what would what would be at the end of the rainbow for you, and and we got answers back from people. Well, I'd go to Disneyland, uh, take my kids there. I'd buy a new set of golf clubs. I'd buy a new set. You know, I'd buy a flat screen TV. I'd, they were all different, and and I think that got to the heart of the problem. All of these people, if you 
draft one promotion, you know, for ten people, you know, one of one person's going to like it and it's really going to move them. The other nine want something else. Yeah. And uh, so we had a dollar limit, but we did this, and uh, and we had about sixty percent of the people hit the goal. And I think it was because it was personal for them. Um, they they were going for something because they set the goal. They yeah. well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a new fifty two inch screen TV if I do this, and I think it was, uh, you know, I don't know if it was more tangible for them, if it was something they really, uh, they they thought they could win. Um, you know, we didn't pay for a whole family to go to Disney World, but we probably paid for you know two three nights hotel. Uh, but those those types of things seem to resonate with people, so. It, it got me to really focus on talking to those people and trying to find out what is it that moves them, what's going to get their attention. You know, That's, Dave, it's interesting to hear you say say that because it, I think people think that managing and, and sales are, are very different roles, but really when you're managing, you're kind of selling your people to buy into your concepts, to buy into your advice, you know, do you feel that way? That it's it's almost like a sales process. Oh, there's no question. Yeah. There's no question. And and you know, as we, you know, as we try to examine why don't people try different things? Why don't you could equate that with why won't a customer give me a chance? Why won't a customer buy right. from me? Well, there's there's, there's parallels. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I really trust this particular salesperson. I don't yeah. know if I really trust this manager. Uh, what happens if the order doesn't deliver on time? Uh, you know, there's a variety of different things. Uh, there's definitely parallels. Yeah. You know, I see, the, I see so, the resistance to change a lot of time has to do with, uh, you know, we, we talk about age, Mark. You and I talk sometimes about the, the relative age of the person you're trying to address. You know, there's also education in there, uh, how confident they are in their abilities. You know, I think a secure salesperson, a confident salesperson, they're willing to change a lot easier and try new things uh, than somebody who may be not as secure, who's a, who's a little, you know, little little insecure about things. They uh, they find it hard to change. Um, yeah, I th I think that uh, Dave, that, that's a brilliant point about the the analogy between uh, selling a a rep or an employee or a colleague on something and and selling to a customer. And I, I think it's a really interesting point. Uh, and I think that the three of us on this call are are experienced at selling to customers. And sometimes you don't often think about applying that the, the same logic to bringing your colleagues uh, along with you. So uh, if there's anything that yeah, I've learned on this call, it's, it's that. Yeah, that. Yeah. You know, Brett, uh, Mark, we'll have people that say, well, if I, you know, if I try that, what's in it for me? Yeah. You know, what's the incentive for me to do this? Yeah. Well, well the incentive is that it might work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if it works, you make, money and if yeah. you make money if you're not in this to make money I you know we're you're in the wrong business but uh, but that to me is always interesting um, so I Dave, gave you the example you, you, go ahead I was just gonna say you made a point that in something very important I don't want us to brush over it is that uh, it's not always about selling it's about building trust yeah and yep I think that applies both to the salespeople that work for you and for their relationships with their clients. So maybe speak for a few minutes about how you as a manager build trust with your sales team and maybe give some advice for salespeople on how they can go about building trust with clients. All right. How much time do we have? Um, well, I, <laughs> Sorry. I, We'll just cut no, you off, man. We'll just get you cut. Go cut you off. So <laughs> we'll That's play okay. music like they do at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. You'll ha you'll have to remind me of the second half of that question. But the first half with your sales force, I, I think you know. For me, 
as a manager and for other managers that, that work with us, I, I think you're really doing your job when you realize that your salespeople will run through a wall for you so that, so that your region, you know, uh, beats some other region. In other words, when, they, when they're doing stuff for you and the greater good of the company or the greater good of the region, then you've won them. Then they're, then they're looking at a bigger picture, and they're, they're less selfish, and they want to give back to you. Um, I, you know, I, salespeople sometimes are skeptical by nature, and, uh, you know, I've had people that, well, you get, you get a piece of the commissions on the, you know, no, I don't. I, I like to see people succeed. I like to work with people, and I think a good manager does. And, and you work with them, you teach them, you hope they learn a few things, and then, uh, you know, it's like a baby bird in the nest. And, you know, if the bird learns to fly, and it, it leaves the nest, and it flies away, and they don't need you anymore, which is a little sad, but it means you did your job. Um, you know, so you do that a couple times, and then you have some people out there who become – Basically, they become your uh, role models or the people. You know, I found sometimes people, you know, I'm in upper management, so you got the you got sales versus management. Oh, my, you know, is it a battle? Can you ever be on the same team? Can you ever find that win-win? And, and so some people are skeptical of that. But if you're successful with some people and then you hold them up as role models and maybe you even use them as mentors where they stand up at meetings and they say, you know, I thought Dave was full of crap and, uh, you know, but we tried some of this stuff and it actually worked and, 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 uh, and he's been there or whatever, whatever it is, whether you're supporting them, uh, you know, giving them unconditional support for things. And so you have to build it and, and eventually people start trusting you and then more people trust you and then more people trust you. And then, then it becomes less of a risk for some of those other salespeople to, to, to trust you. Uh, because others have done it and they didn't get burnt and they didn't they didn't keel up and die and you know so that, that's on the sales side on the, on the customer side I you know Brad it you know this as well as I do it, it, it's I constantly am quizzing our account execs about tell me about the value you're creating for your customer and some of them go, what do you mean? And I go, oh, you're screwed. You know, you know I, they need to be able to articulate to me what they're bringing. There's no risk. You can say whatever you want to me, but you need to be able to tell me what you're bringing to the table for your clients because that's the conversation you have to have with your clients, and, and that's what builds that relationship. Uh, if they have trouble answer, answering that simple question, we need to work on that because they're only uh, a step away from losing that account to somebody else who comes in with a value proposition that's greater than ours. Um, so I, I don't know if that touches on what you were getting at or... Yeah, I, it does. And I think, I think really your, your first answer about how to gain trust with your sales team was really good about you're basically looking for small successes to create a champion inside your organization that'll tell other people, hey, this guy's not full of crap. And I would say that same approach, this just personally, I would say that works with clients as well. You know, if you've got a client inside an organization that they, loves you, they love you, then you can then encourage them to tell other people or, you know, speak on your behalf to give you that kind of credibility. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 I think it definitely works one brick at a time. I, I wanted to just touch on another story because I, I touched a little bit on the, uh, uh, the lower sales producer, uh, you know, the person that's not making a six-figure income. Um, sometimes you can get your greater strides with the people in the middle and the, and the people towards the top. Uh, we, don't, we don't focus as much on the top because they're out there and, and they get up every morning and they, and they go to work. Uh, it may be in their underwear in their office, but, man, they're working. They work in the phones. They work in the electronic presentations. They work in whatever it takes, and, and, and they're often the ones that are there working on Saturdays and Sundays. But, uh, 
if you spend some time with some of these people, I think you can find some areas as well. Uh, for example, we've had some recently where you see some people that are making they're making high incomes, but then they're doing a bunch of stuff that just either we would do for them, but but they don't. You know, they well, I don't. I don't think you can lick these. I don't think you can lick these envelopes the way I do it, you know, and so they're mailing stuff out. And, and so sometimes we will proactively, if we see these types of things, we'll sit down with the person and say, you, know, you, you understand you're making $75 an hour selling and you're doing something that you could pay somebody $10 an hour for. Right. Uh, and, and, and so we have those conversations and it's not always about, and this is where I, I gain a lot of trust, I think, from people, Brad. I'll say, you know what, it, if, if we can free up four hours of you doing something that we could pay somebody $10 an hour to do, let's find a way to do it. And yeah. sure, it'd be great, you know, if you want to put those four hours back into selling, Vernon will benefit, you'll benefit, that's all great. But if you want to take those four hours and spend it with the kids and go to the school play and, you know, and go get your hair cut or, or, or go to the beach, that that's all good too because that'll that'll develop a more balanced lifestyle and you'll be healthier and you'll be more energized but sometimes pointing those things out to people seems obvious to me but uh it's not quite as obvious to them well i'm not as somebody said to me recently i'm not sure i want to pay you know a hundred dollars a week to do this i said you understand in one hour you would make that back yeah. You know, you're making yeah. almost $100 an hour selling. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much to take what you made last year, divide it by 2,080 hours, and, and then I quickly point out, I don't think you work 2,080 hours, depending <laughs> on the person. Depending upon the person, the person I was talking to I know didn't, and I said, you know, that's 50 bucks an hour. Yeah. You know, or oh, more than that, more than that. So th those types of things, trying to help people, and be constructive with them when they didn't ask you, as opposed to being pushed up against the wall and having somebody come and say, "Hey, Mark, you know, I think I'm worth more money. What are you going to do?" Yeah, you know, that, then it becomes a that's those are tougher discussions. But Dave, I've been thinking about this as you've been talking in terms of um, trying to think about some of the experiences that I've had in in bringing people along and getting them to change and by no means have I figured it out because I think it's 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 really really tough but if I think about some of the successes that I've had and when I say some it's not a lot but just <laughs> the odd time has been in really showing the rep how the change can be successful as opposed to just telling them and and if I think about the 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 this the six the successful people in my organization, a lot of them have been shown by someone else as to you know how this can be done or if they're so as an example of let's say someone isn't convinced that uh, being proactive and sending a good idea a week to a client is going to generate more sales because they're they say something like, "Well, I don't want to be a pest." Like that's maybe the typical example that a salesperson might say. Yeah, I'll then go and say, well, let let's do this together. Let's build a campaign over the next thirty days where four or five proactive ideas are sent out and they're done religiously at this particular time, this particular day of the week, and let's see what happens. And you know what? After thirty days, if it's crickets and the clients called up and said, "Stop being a pest," then you know what? I'll back off. But I'm willing to guarantee that this will generate either a sale, a lunch meeting, a response that says, hey, neat idea. It reminds me that I need to reorder shirts. And it's always amazing to me that as soon as you can kind of walk the walk and, and talk the talk and then show the rep firsthand how it can generate results, then you've created a really magical situation. Um, how does that work in your environment, Dave, where you've got reps that are spread out across the country and it might be a little bit more challenging to have a, a more of that in-person FaceTime? Well, I, that's, a good, that's a great example. I mean, I think back, 
you know, years ago when I was doing more day-to-day -day managing on the on the on the field level, that's exactly what I did. And and you know, do as I do, not as I say, or yeah. the other way around. And so you got to go out and you got to make calls and make calls with them. You can uh, uh, you can travel with them and show them show them how you handle it so if and if you can't handle it you got to make sure somebody else that that can do it does that I was out making sales calls Thursday and Friday with uh, some new people we have uh, that have aligned with the Vernon company and you know what I hadn't done it in a while and, and to me it was still fun and and you go out there but you you know sometimes just showing them how to set an objective for a call so you still can do it. Sometimes you have to. You have to do. You do it through mid-level managers. You can do it at meetings. You can do role-playing scenarios. But to your point of, you know, I made a couple notes here, and I said treat treat salespeople like adults. Uh, be transparent. Set expectations. Be fair. Document. 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 But but holding them accountable. I I, I can think back in history to going out making sales calls with people, you know, eight eight hours a day, and then, uh, you know, that was hoofing the streets, and it's not quite the same today. But but doing that and then saying, okay, you know, I want you to go out and make sales calls Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I'm coming back next Monday. Mm. And uh, call them on Friday, and they say, yeah, no, I didn't make any calls on Wednesday because it was hot out. Uh, I didn't make any calls on Thursday because it was raining, and Friday uh, I lost my car, key, car keys. Uh, you know, in those types of scenarios, uh, every flag in the book was raised, and uh, I didn't go back out with them on Monday. I held them accountable. I said, you got to make three days of calls. Or three, you need to call so many people. You have to do something on your part. So holding them accountable and not giving, I think, a said at the beginning, don't give more than, the, the, don't invest more in them than they're going to invest in themselves because you, yeah. you'll, you'll end up losing a lot of time and money. But I, but I do think showing them the little successes, showing them, especially if somebody's nervous or insecure about something, showing them how you can get the information from a client without, you know, with, without having to draw blood, yeah. you know, those, those types of things. I think that can be done fairly easily in a variety of different settings. So you don't have to be face-to-face -face with them. Dave, just to kind of shift gears for a little bit, we've talked about changes in individuals and how to help salespeople evolve, but you're a guy that's been in the industry for a couple of years now, and as a whole, what are some of the key changes that you've seen, not just in recent past, but over time, and, and what do you see continue to change? What are the things that have um, been impactful. Well, technology obviously is is the biggest thing, um, but I think the definition uh, the definition of relationships or, or defining a relationship and uh, Brad, what might be a relationship between me and you might be different between me and Mark or or, or you and Mark. Uh, I don't, you know. I'm a hundred years old, and and <laughs> you know you sit there and say way back when there was one way to make a sales call or there were two you made a phone call or you or you knocked on the door it's not quite that easy today and, and so but you still you still need to get to know the customer know their preferences know their likes know their dislikes how you get those answers may be different uh, you know for uh, you know a 30 something versus a 50 something uh, so I think the biggest challenge is and I've talked before, it's like speaking different languages. If I'm old school and, you know, I'm just picking up the phone and knocking on the door and not not communicating any other way and I'm trying to sell somebody who wants to do everything, you know, uh, by text, I, it's like you're speaking different languages, you know, and you're probably not going to have any success unless you learn that other language. So a salesperson today I think needs to be uh, – I say multilingual. They they need to they need to be able to adapt and be you know talk figure out what the buyer wants and how they like to communicate and then do it that way. Otherwise, they're they're going to have little chance of success. Right, and of course I mean, that's that's that that's the main thing. I think the last podcast 
Mark, uh, me, you, and Bobby, we talked about stuff like that. And is, is it a factor of age you know, or generation? Sure, there's a there's a component to it, but you know, I, I've seen some 60-year-olds that are more flexible and more adaptive and and more willing to embrace new ideas than some 30-year-olds. So it's it's not a it's not a guaranteed thing. Uh, and then you go back, Mark, to talking about teaching new new people, and you know maybe it's a 25-year-old uh, apprentice you have in your office, and if they, you know, they're supposed to supposed to meet you at eight, and they show up at quarter of nine, you know, it's not a great start. I don't care, you know. So there still has to be rules and guidelines, and they still need to be able to follow instructions and and, and do things like that. So I, I don't know, you know, technology, the relationship, just the complexity of what a relationship takes today. And in uh, your definition of a relationship may be totally different from the person you're calling on, so you got to figure that out up front. Yeah, mm. Dave, you you've mentioned uh, uh, a couple of times uh, the word age in in the podcast, and I, I Dave, you're ninety, you're not a hundred. Come on, let's. Uh, you know, I think you're being hard on yourself there, my friend. But uh, <laughs> a very new- I, I know what you I know what you do. About every every 26 weeks, you got to say we got to get somebody over 50. So let's call Regan. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. That's that is not that is not true. <laughs> That's all right. This we should do that, Mark. Yeah, yeah, we should, we should. But so, so I, I, I've, I've kind of, I've got a, a, a two-part question, if, if I'm allowed. Um, and, and the first of which is, uh, and it is talking about the age profile at Vernon, and how, uh, how you see that changing, if at all in the last or uh, since we last spoke 2 years ago and the reason i ask you that question is that was one thing that we had talked about in our november 2012 podcast was the age profile and the demographic of a vernon rep and how you were excited and scared at the same time that that was starting to shift and that you were having some people that were leaving the industry and that there was a question of who you would be replacing them with um do you want to update us on that as to, as to yeah, where well, things are at? Sure, sure. I mean, we've, we've, uh, our average age has probably dropped, uh, not probably, it's, our average age has dropped about 10 years in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's by design, um, but it's easier said than done. We, you know, we can sit in a room and say we've got to get younger people. Yeah. Um, and, and then one of the things we've been very proud of is the longevity of our sales force. So the longevity of our sales force fights against getting the younger people yeah. because because they go to a meeting and you sit there and, and uh, go, oh, we're very proud that so-and-so has been with us 36 years, and people go, oh, my God, he's got to be 65. Well, he is. Yeah. But, but so it, it's good that they joined Vernon when they did and they stuck with us, but yet we don't want that to – uh, hurt our chances of hiring somebody in their 20s or their 30s. So that that's that's been tough. But I can tell you, you know, if you come to one of our meetings today or if you see our group, uh, it, it, there's a lot more 20s and 30s and 40s, and uh, you know, uh, there's a lot more people that would would mix right in with one of your promo kitchen mixers, and you'd you, you wouldn't know, <laughs> you know. So that's good, and we try to profile them. And uh, is it stereotyping? Sure, when we do an ad with uh, younger people, yeah. you know, an ad, an ad with uh, attractive people of, of either gender. Absolutely, you know, uh, we do things like that because we don't want somebody to say, well, I'm looking to make a change, and I'm thinking of company A, B, and C, but I'm not thinking of Vernon because they don't embrace technology or they don't embrace uh, the younger thought process or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think we got enough people in a in a stable now that that if I had somebody come to Vernon and and, and want to talk to some people, I'm I'm not gonna have them talk to somebody that's uh, 30 years older than them. 
you know, which right. I think is important. They need to be able to identify with the group they're with and, and uh, uh, in addition to the capabilities. But, but I think the, uh, the, the visible aspect of it, I think, is important. There's no, yeah. no doubt about it. So it's something we talk about. It's something we do. And, and again, I, I think we've made great strides in that area. And, and similar to what we were talking about earlier, Brad, where you get somebody on your team that trusts you and you hold them up as a role model and you get some testimonials and things like that, every company in the industry that's recruiting does that. They, they have their testimonials. They have their people that say, you know, I had to make a change and I joined company A. And uh, it's been great. And so we all do that. So I don't think that's a secret. But... Uh, but who you hold up and who you put out there, I think, says a lot about your company. Yeah. The uh, and the the second part of that question, and I'd be interested in Brad's uh, view on this, given that your your positioning of Boundless is a little bit different, um, or just a different experience, I should say. How do you think that we can attract younger people as a whole? to the promotional products industry. I mean, it's still uh, a relatively old industry in terms of habits, in terms of people that have been in the industry. And as you say, Dave, that is, that's a real feather in our cap in terms of it's, it's a very profitable industry. It's a, it, it's a great way for people to make a living. So it's great that people are around for 40 years. Um, there's a great amount of stability there. But at the same time, how do we, how do we move to the next generation? How do we make this industry attractive to 20-somethings that want to get into this line of work and make good money? How do we do that? Can I jump in there real quick, Dave? I yeah. think the question was for you, and I, I just picked up my pen. I'm gonna okay. Write, I'm going to write down your answer. No. I'm not okay. going to say what you think. I mean, no, number, I one, number one, define young. I mean, in this industry, if you're under 50, you're young. Sure. And so I, I, I think that's one thing to think about. I'm going to plug something personally here. My dad is 65, and I posted on Facebook last week. I was very proud of him. He won a sales award for his company. He works at a huge company. they got a ton of sales guys, and he won an award. On President's Club, it's like the highest award a sales guy can get at that company. And what does my dad do? He works his butt off, and he's smart. And I know people like to fall into the young versus old discussion. Yep. And maybe boundless trends a little younger, so you might think I think one way. But I, I, I'm here to tell you there's no substitute for hard work and intelligence. I don't care how old you are. And, you know, there are some people that maybe when they get older, they don't have the ability to work as hard. Okay, I get that. Or maybe when they get older, they stop paying attention to new things and innovations. Okay, I get that. But ultimately, if you maintain a, a hard work mindset and, a, you know, a, want to absorb knowledge, then you're always going to be relevant. And the other thing I would say, too, Mark, is I always hear this question, how are we going to get more young people, more young people? You know, why do we need that? I question that. I mean, why do we need to bring in more people from outside of the industry into our industry? I'm, I'm asking. I'm just curious. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good question, and, and we, I don't think, want to water down uh, the industry by bringing on more people. I think that what I, what I'm curious about is how how is it, how is it that we can increase the pie, and so you could make a, um, I think that where my question comes from is not so much about making the industry younger, but it's kind of broadening it. And so an analogy that I would make is uh, bringing in like. We've had some success, uh, when I say we, like we as an industry have had success in bringing in retail lines that want to target promotional products distributors because it's a, a great channel for them. And by bringing the, that, that fresh content, that the, the, the uh, fresh new product, maybe a fresh new way to market, 
um, makes the industry better. And yes, it, I suppose it, to some extent it provides more competition, but it also, I think, broadens things. So my, my question is, is maybe less about age as as much about how do we introduce newer, more disruptive ways of thinking in this business. Yeah. And to some extent, and I'm, I'm kind of just making this up here, but to some extent, if we think back to the original uh, question that Dave had given us uh, at the beginning with his article, which yeah. is, like, do we want to be an industry of people, of suppliers and distributors that are just expecting different results and by doing the same thing? Or how can we shake things mm -hmm. up? And is, that, is that by... Uh, I, I think one way you can do that is by bringing in by 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 bringing in younger people who think things. I think think well, in a different way. Let me let me jump on there just for a second because I I, I do agree with Brad in, in one respect. You know, sometimes uh, all of the large companies will get knocked for recruiting and and. Uh, you know that there's a feeding frenzy, and we're all trying to rob other people and things like that. You know, however, I, I sometimes I look at other industries and say, okay, if I need an engineer to work for my company, I'm not going to go hire somebody who doesn't have engineering experience. I'm going to go to a headhunter. They're going to go out and they're going to find people with engineering experience yep. who are probably good at what they're doing. They probably currently have a job, and they're going to find them. Yeah. So, it, but but in our industry, we go, oh my God. Somebody called one of my salespeople. Yes, <laughs> I mean that that's that you should be flattered, you know. Uh, that so there's we we tend to put up some rules in this industry that don't really exist in the rest of the real world. Yeah, you know, oh my, somebody a supplier sold direct. Well, there's no law that says a supplier can't sell direct, other than you can throw away their catalog or delete their website from your favorites and don't use them. Yeah, you know, so, so some of those things kill me, but I think the future. I, I think when you look, I think some of the things, and in, in I think some of the companies are waiting for somebody else to figure it out. Um, you talked about education and training of newer people, and how do you do that remotely? I don't think anybody's really tapped into that. And how can I, how can I really train and and uh, model uh, a sales? person that lives in Portland, Oregon when I'm sitting here in Iowa. That, I think you need, we need to get better at that. I also th think the compensation is going to, I think the compensation's an interesting discussion. You know, everybody pays splits and they pay large splits of the profit. Uh, they don't do that in other industries. You, you, don't get, you don't get paid 50, 60, 65 percent of the profit when you sell other products. Hmm. Um, so to change, really to change the dynamics on that, I, I mean, I think you're going to have to pick up, and some companies have done this successfully. They pick up kids out of college they, who have marketing degrees or something close, and they invest in them. And I think what you hear from companies like Vernon and Bombless and, and others, and I, Brad, I shouldn't say Bombless because I don't really know, but what you hear from Vernon and some other friendly competitors of ours is, we don't have the money based on the current system to invest and pay people salaries for selling when they, you know, it's going to be a year and a half before they start earning their keep. Mm. So, but something's got to change there. And, and we sit around the room sometimes, uh, you know, with some of my, my friends and I say, well, why don't you just, just change your commission structure? Let me know how it works out. You know, because we're joking that, you know, if you change that, all of a sudden, their 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 sales reps are going to be calling Brad tomorrow and me, and you know, jumping ship and all of that. But somehow, the future has to has to involve more investing in the in the uh, the new person in the industry to train them. Every one of us started somewhere. Somebody gave us a chance, and and uh, there's not as I don't. I think there's as many chances being given today. There isn't by the Vernon Company. I know that. We we just have not had the infrastructure to hire. Back when I started, we'd hire 300 people a year, a year, hmm. and you know. And at the end of the year, you had six left, you know, because of the learning curve. Uh, we don't do that today, you know. But uh, and I don't think anybody does, you know. 
So I, I think it's an interesting uh, challenge. It is tough to attract somebody out of college with a non-salary job. You know, yeah, we had the we had the we had the discussion. What do you need? What would you need to get a kid out of college to pay attention to you? I mean, today maybe today maybe it's a job, but but is it thirty thousand dollars? Is it thirty five? Is it you know? I I it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion. So then you take okay thirty five thousand dollars. What does that translate? What would they have to sell? Oh, they'd have to sell two hundred thousand dollars to cover, you know, to break even on a, whatever it is, it is, and uh, but it, it it's a high risk proposition, and you'd have to uh, you'd have to really hold them accountable. I don't think you could just say, oh, I'm going to hire somebody in East Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and pay them thirty five thousand dollars, and we'll we'll talk once a week. I don't know. I I could I could go on and on, but. That's a whole new topic. I mean, yeah, we could tackle that for a while. Yeah. The one last thing I would just kind of say, I think it's for us to be viewed, uh, you know, and revered by a younger generation is that we have to remain relevant. Promotional products, I think, have a competitor from social media, and. It's social media is easy to use. You're highly connected and whatnot. We just had South by Southwest here in Austin, and you think, oh, it's very techy, it's very young and whatnot. But what are those young techy companies all doing? Giving away free stuff. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, but they were doing it in very interesting ways. And I really, and I've said this to a few people now, I really would encourage suppliers to show those unique ways that their products have been used, not just that something was given out, yep. but that something was part of an overall program, some kind of client engagement, or that they encouraged those, the end users to share a message or whatever. If suppliers know that stuff, they should put it out there, and then distributors need to make sure that their mindset is not completely in product alone, but more in purpose. And I think in doing those things, then collectively we make ourselves more relevant in the overall marketing scheme and modern marketing. So that's kind of what I saw last week. Well, Brad, and that and that ties into you know who's you know who says we have to hire younger people. Uh, you know, you don't. But the the risk of not doing it is you start to lose relevance. You know, yeah. at, at things like that. So. I think our medium has a great potential to, to uh, you know, combine and mix the generations and bring them together. And it, but there needs to be thought. You need to. You can't have a focus group that's made up, you know, of all white guys 50 years old and and hope to figure out what to do with the gen, the millennials, the millennial females. You can't. You you have to embrace everybody. And if you don't have any of them on your team, and I'm not saying you don't, you certainly do, but if as an organization you don't have those those people on your team, it's going to be hard to get their perspective, and therefore you're going to make a, a decision that is less than 100% educated at the time. I know that uh, it's certainly the subject of another full podcast at minimum, but I think that uh, one of the one of the things one of the themes that's coming out in, in this conversation is that there is an understandable reluctance to invest in younger people because they're going to require a salary, yet it's a lot of those younger people that are coming in from outside the industry that are ones that are providing a fresh perspective. So even if that younger person doesn't necessarily, if, if they're not going to sell the 200 grand within the 18 months or the year that you need them to sell it in order to pay off their $35,000 salary, um, perhaps a question that we need to ask ourselves in the industry is, is there value outside of the sales return that we're getting from these, uh, uh, from these outsiders, from these newer people coming into the industry because of the different perspectives that they can share? Um, I know that's one of the ways that we've tended to look at it 
in terms of making some of those investments on the on the right sleeve side um, in recognizing that it might be a while until this person is able to pay off but if we can tap into their deep experience in what's going on with millennials or what's going on in this particular market or whatever the case may be then we can that that makes the organization better and more effective at selling to those markets so i mean that's just one I, we certainly don't have, we haven't figured out everything that's for sure but um that's maybe one way that we have been able to justify some of those salaries that are not necessarily tied to um sales return yeah yeah what what's interesting is the conversation we've done gone full full circle and we started off talking about the insanities of uh, the insanity of AEs doing the same thing and expecting different results to to getting me to realize that our firm does the same thing in certain areas of the business. There you I think go. Brad's probably saying the same thing, and then and Brad's pointing out suppliers are doing the same things they used to do 30 years ago, expecting some different results. And it, it, you, you really need to be introspective uh, about your organizations and, and just look at it. And so we are all I'm, guilty. I'm totally depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. <laughs> it, it, it's just, uh, it, it's really interesting when you, we're all going so fast. Yeah. We're going so fast. We're moving so many different directions that sometimes you just, you'd be well-versed to sit down and get outside. We did this recently, got outside the office for 48 hours in a little retreat type setting it's amazing what you can come up with sometimes in the brainstorming and then you go back to the hectic world of your office and you and you hope to do a couple of the things that you figured out but yeah it's, it's interesting so so dave i think we're we're almost at the end of our uh session with you it's gone by really quickly and appreciate it uh like always we like to give our guests the last word do you have anything that you want to uh close with other than that you're depressed <laughs> no, no. I, well, I I enjoy talking to you guys. I, you know, it's it's. Uh, I love talking to uh, my peers in the industry. I think if there's more of it, and you do it in in a setting where you're not worried and paranoid about what the the other company's going to do, uh, I, I think you can find ways to be uh, mutually beneficial. We're, we're part of a group and. and uh, of some other large distributors, we get together now once or twice a year, and we talk about a variety of things. Nothing controversial from uh, pricing or anything like that setting, but it is amazing when when you talk about the common challenges, what you can get accomplished uh, by sharing, and uh, that's why I think it's a great thing Promo Kitchen does, and, and uh, glad to be a part of it, Mark. Brad, appreciate the opportunity. Hey, thanks, Dave. Thank you, man. This was uh, this was great fun. Uh, really appreciate it. It's I always I just love how these uh, sessions go by really quickly. So we'll uh, we really appreciate it, Dave.